Welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast, which is part of Fantasy Basketball International. This is episode 26. B-Dub is joining me once again as we finish talking about the Pacific Division. Let's go ahead and get into it. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and I want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there has never been a better time to sign up. When you visit my page, signupexpert.com TML, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All these sportsbooks have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and when you register through my link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at signupexpert.com TML. Like I said, this is episode 26, and I'm going to go ahead and bring B-Dub in uh, so that we can talk about uh fbi what's going on i know i was trying to bring him in as he was bringing himself in so he kind of you know gives a little couple pump fakes before but now he's here b dub how are you doing Hi, Matt. how you doing all right i'm i'm doing well it's uh early in the week not much time for anything to have gone wrong but everything's going great so far can't complain at all how's uh how are things with fbi and the world cup or anything else that's going on yeah, that's a good question because when you ask me how is my week, uh, my week has been uh, I've been doing two things, maybe three if you count sleep, but uh, looking after children and I've got three of them and they're all very young. Uh, and when I've managed to get a spare minute um, or a spare couple of hours, it's straight to the computer, um, much to my wife's chagrin and um, yeah, configuring leagues and Discord and the like. So um, I guess the, the key updates for this week are, I guess, one, the World Cup. So I think uh, most people would have, uh, you know, registered their interest by now. Um, I believe that most of the people that have reached out um, through FBI channels um, have uh, either received an invite or are just about to receive an invite. Um, but if you haven't um, received an invite yet, uh, I've put a form in our Discord. It's in uh, the World Cup info channel. Um, it's just like basically a Google form. The best way to secure a spot would go and be to complete that form. Um, so I've got about 50 spots left in the Northern Division, which is, uh, sorry, the Northern Conference, which is the last conference to fill. But then, uh, believe it or not, um, in all the other three divisions, not every single person has joined and registered yet. So I've sent a few reminder emails out um, and basically we're approaching the point where if they don't join and register, um, they're just going to cut, uh, which is going to free up some more spots. So they'll go to the people that have filled in that form. Um, so yeah, get into that form, fill that in. A um, bit more info on the World Cup. It's The draft will start on the 2nd of October um so we're, we're we're tracking to good time um now the next thing to update is redraft leagues just the standard leagues 
they have um, uh, the first the first drop has gone live. So there's, I believe, eight head-to-head leagues there, um, some 20-buck leagues, 50 bucks, um, one $100 league and one that's about 500 bucks. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the first of probably four or five drops, just depending on how demand is this year. Um, we've left things a little bit later than we normally would. So I'm hoping we sort of replicate what we had last year. People have been hanging out for them. Um, but the next drop, hopefully today, will be Roto Leagues, um, doing 8-cat and 9-cat this year because there's demand for both. Um, and then the drop after that will be back to head-to-head, probably some more of the same that I already mentioned. Um, plus, there'll be a few sort of um, head-to-head leagues that are um, uh, like different to normal uh, in some way, shape or form. So that could be we're going to have a 16-team head-to-head league. We're going to have a, maybe one or two with an auction draft rather than a like rather than a slow draft. Um, and then after that, we might do some points, but we'll probably just continue to top up the roto leagues and the head-to-head leagues until um, they're completely exhausted. So that's what's happening at FBI at the moment, mate. Um, you can find all those redraft leagues in the in the redraft info, redraft access, redraft chat channels. Um, you should be able to figure out how to get into them um, from there. So... Um, I'll go through after this pod and update the the counts, and we might drop a few more in um, straight after this. Yeah, that's I mean obviously incredibly exciting as that's getting very close uh, now to draft starting. I think I don't know maybe this is subject to change, but I was just looking at mine in the uh, the West, and it said the draft was starting October first, which is just a few days away. So oh uh, yeah, October first for you, October second for me, and. Um, you know, if the if the if the if the conference isn't completely full, that draft day might get pushed back a little bit. We do have a bit of buffer room in there, uh, but hoping obviously that over this weekend, it's done and dusted. Yeah, still less than a week away, potentially maybe about a week away, depending on if everybody's able to get signed in, get into the league. But it's coming up quick. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we're going to go ahead and wrap up talking about the Pacific Division. Uh, instead of aiming to talk about all five teams and ending up going really long and having to cut off two of them, we have all the time in the world now to discuss these two. So yeah. still still shouldn't take as long as last time, but should still get plenty of detail. Um, and we'll go ahead and start with the Suns, which means we'll wrap up with the Clippers. But uh, Suns, you know what? I should have pulled this up. Actually, I have it right here already. Suns finished 45 and 37 last year. Um, lost in the second round to the Nuggets, um, you know, dealt with an injury to Chris Paul, an injury to DeAndre Ayton. Um, but before that, it was a pretty competitive series. Like it was a 2-2 split, and then they were without Ayton. So it's uh, you can, you're always in the series when you have guys like KD and Devin Booker. Uh, they obviously made the trade to add Bradley Beal this summer. So that's going to be, you know, three guys who have been elite scorers at different points of their career. They're not all going to average – 28 points per game, but Beal has shown he can average 30. Katie's shown he can average 30. And I don't think anybody would doubt that Devin Booker could average 30 per game if he wasn't having to share the ball with other stars to try and win a championship. Still have Aiton, though those rumors I don't think will slow down before the season starts or even at the trade deadline. I think there's definitely a chance that he gets moved um, as they try and figure out what they need to add. Um, but I think the most interesting thing is who's going to play point guard because, you know, there's reports that it's going to be Bradley Beal. Um, but we've seen, you know, over the last two seasons, 
Uh, Beal averaged 5.4 assists per game last year, 6.6 the year before. Uh, two seasons before that, he averaged 30.6 points and 6.1 assists. So we've seen him with, obviously, with a really high usage rate, probably higher than what he's going to have this year. Um, be a good playmaker. We've also seen that from Devin Booker before Chris Paul got there. Um, what do we make of what this dynamic could look like with Bradley Beal reportedly running point guard, but also, I mean, Devin Booker's going to have the ball in his hands. Kevin Durant's going to have the ball in his hands. So what do we kind of make of what this looks like from a fantasy perspective? Because we know they're all going to score points, but is one of them going to get a bunch of assists? Are none of them going to get a bunch of assists? Is like a couple couple of them going to be okay with it? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, that's, uh, it's an interesting question. Um, Well, first of all, I'd say that just listening to various pods, um, both fantasy related and NBA related, um, it seems to me that um, I guess both industries seem to be a little bit down on Beal. You do get a few, uh, a few people sort of commenting really positively about him, but I think overall um, people seem to think that um, I think they're underrating him versus what he could potentially be on this team. Um, obviously, that's fueled by uh, it's fueled by sort of a poorer performance than usual the last season or two. Some injuries on a bad Washington team, um, somewhat overshadowed by Chris Stapp's, um last season. Um, but he's still a really good player, um, and I don't think playing with um, you know a couple of other stars is necessarily going to impact him as much as um, you know it seems to be the case. I believe he's going sort of mid-50s, um, sometimes in the 60s in redraft leagues. So I'd be pretty keen to – I am pretty keen to snap him up at that point because he's obviously returned, you know, um, late first, but more more often than more often than that, um, second or, or third round value. Um, you know, when I say late first, I don't mean he finished the season as a first-round player, but he definitely had some stretches there. And on a team where the focus isn't completely on him – uh, where he's not the sort of the the, the Beal all and end all, um, for to, to, to throw in a little pun there. Um, you know, I think perhaps he's going to have a little bit more breathing room to do his thing. Um, and I, I can foresee him being um, quite a good pickup in fantasy drafts this year, but sort of skirted around the point. What about point Beal? Um, I, think you're, I think you're pretty much right that, you know, those guys are going to share the ball handling responsibility. Um, you might see, I mean, Who's going to organise the offence? I guess that's the the point. Beal's pretty good off the ball. Um, so uh, I don't think he'll be exclusively bringing the ball down, having the ball in his hands. Um, he'll want to be running around and picking it up. I think, um, you know, Booker can do a bit of that. Um, even KD can bring the ball down the floor. We've seen him do it often enough. And, you know, there's other guys on this team like Eric Gordon and, and so on um, who can also also um, manage some of those ball handling responsibilities. So it is going to be interesting to see a team with basically three shooting guards, um, you know, starting. Um, but, yeah, I think it's sort of overrated. Um, you know, if you're not going to be playing a lot of pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton, do you really need to have like a traditional point guard on the floor? So point Beal, um, point Booker. Um, I do think Bill will have most of the responsibility there when he's on the floor. But, um, yeah, I don't think it really matters too much for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to truly 
benefit, but I, I don't think it's also going to be a train wreck. Like I think some people may have thought when it first happened, like, Oh, who's going to play point guard. There's only one basketball. I don't think any of those guys are players where, Oh, they're deaf. All they can do is to have the ball in their hand and need to dribble the air out of the ball to get a shot off. Like we've seen Beal and Devin, I mean, all three of them be very good off the ball, especially like when Katie was with golden state, really good at moving off the ball. Um, Booker and Beal are both good at, you know, coming off screens, getting to their spots and attacking off of that. So I think it, it could end up being a case of who has the hot hand, uh, even throughout games, one or two of them could be sitting on the bench, which still gives the third star the opportunity to be the focal point of the offense. So I think all of them will be fine statistically. I'm not buying, even if Bradley Beal is the quote unquote point guard, like you said, the, the guy who organizes the offense or the lead ball handler, sometimes I don't think they're going to fully commit to that and take away his off ball game. I don't think it's necessarily going to result in, I mean, we've seen him and Booker both average six assists per game in a season. I don't see it getting higher than that, but I also, I mean, it's probably going to be, maybe, maybe it won't be, maybe six assists is kind of reasonable at a, at a max of six assists for potentially both Booker and Beal while KD averages five. I mean, I could see it, um, but yeah, I'm, I don't think it's going to end up being, oh, Bradley Beal's point guard, DeAndre Ayton sets him a million screens and he attacks off of it and finds Booker and KD. Like it, I think it's going to be a pretty balanced offense that results in all the stars getting to their spots to get good shots. And it's going to be at times very hard to guard and maybe at other times with a lot of potentially iso ball at times uh, frustrating because with three guys that good, it's probably in your mind, it's, it's it should be impossible to guard, but if things aren't clicking, especially early on, I wouldn't be necessarily shocked by that. Yeah. As you're talking, uh, and I, yeah, I completely agree with that analysis. And as you're talking, I'm sort of recalling my thought process um, from earlier this year um, when we saw the Suns in the finals and Devin Booker was doing a bit of those point guard responsibilities so my recollection of that, now that I think about it, is that he actually did that quite well. Um, and I think Booker with the ball in his hands could actually be the um, the permutation of, um, you know, that works out on the Suns more often than not. So um, point Bill, I'd say, yeah, definitely he will have that. He will be bringing the ball down quite a bit and, um, you know, uh, orchestrating the offense. Uh, but yeah, sort of come to think of it, I think actually it'll be Booker that gets the, uh, not the lion's share, but gets more of that responsibility than either Beal or Durant, even if they do sort of um, get the season kicking with Beal in that role. Yeah. And I imagine there'll be, I mean, they'll spend the whole season trying to figure it out so that they're ready for the playoffs. I don't think that they're a team that's gonna, like their priority is trying to win a championship. When you have a team like this with Kevin Durant's an aging star. Bradley Beal's missed a ton of games, but he also hasn't really been part of a true competitive team that's made. I don't think he's made the conference finals. I think the furthest that he's made it is the second round with the Wizards. Um, and then Booker obviously has made the finals, still hasn't won a ring. Like I, That's kind of what they're going for. So their priority is going to be on that. So they'll experiment with a lot, I imagine. I mean, I think Booker and Beal will have success in that role. But yeah, I don't think it's anything that over the course of the season – point guard Bradley Beal isn't going to be a huge spike for him. Probably the only other thing to mention is 
Um, if it's not working out for any of them, I think the only other guys on their roster that you could sort of put into that um, point guard category is Jordan Goodwin, which I have seen him go off the board in the last round um, of, a, of a draft only um, a couple of times. I think that's a little bit ambitious. Um, he was certainly going higher than you would expect in some of the dynasty stuff we were doing over the off season. Uh, I think that's not really warranted. And then I believe they've got Saban Lee on the team as well, um, mm. who has sort of handled the ball, I believe, in Detroit and um, uh, perhaps a couple of other teams that I can't recall right now in the past. Um, so, you know, if worse comes to worst, maybe one of those guys is getting a bit more run than we would expect. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely could happen. Or maybe even if we're looking ahead, a move at the trade deadline. Oh, this whole point BL or point booker point, whoever wants to be point guard uh, experiment isn't really working. Let we need to trade Deandre Ayton. We need to get a real point guard and like a stretch four that can start alongside these guys and then roll with Drew Eubanks at center or something like that. I'm not, it's not an ideal option, but when you have three either stars or superstars like that, that's kind of what you have to roll with. Yeah, exactly. And that's an interesting point you raise um, about Aiton. Maybe we can leave it for the third topic of this discussion, but you know, does he even start the season on the Suns? Yeah, we uh, we'll get to that, I guess. Um, but I guess we'll briefly talk about, or maybe not so briefly, uh, just to stick with the order, where to draft Kevin Durant. Um, I'm not if you can if you have the FBI ADP. The Yahoo ADP is eleven point three. I don't know what the uh, FBI one is looking like. If you, uh, I don't have it up on the screen right now, but I can have it up soon. But I yeah. basically know that it's in that sort of um, around that nine to eleven range. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe yeah, around nine, ten, eleven, um, depending on which league. He, okay, I put it to you this way: he was definitely going rather late um, when we first started doing draft onlys uh, in July, and I mean like uh, as late as thirteenth or fourteenth. That's definitely come in um, and you're now seeing him in that sort of weird um, sort of eight to eight to 10, 11 zone um, next to names like, uh, you know, Dame um, sort of maybe just a little bit behind Steph Curry, but um, right around there with LaMelo Ball um, and, and those guys. Yeah. If you look at nine cat Z scores, nine cat rankings, He's since his rookie season, he's finished at least eighth every single season on a per game basis. But I think the question that I have, the reason that he's a late first round guy probably is the games played. And I know we briefly talked about this last time uh, when we were talking about, I don't know if we were talking about the Lakers, the Warriors or who, but the games played and the fact that he's played, he played 47 games last year, 55 the year before that, 35 the year before that, and then obviously missed that whole previous season after the injury in the finals for the Warriors. When he's on the court, he's great, but the games played, injury risk kind of thing, it's you can't game plan. I mean, you can kind of game plan for injuries. You can't predict when injuries will happen. There's guys that are quote-unquote injury prone. If Kevin Durant went and played 70 games this year, I think I mean, it would be like, a pleasant surprise, but I don't think it would be, it's not out of the question because, you know, injuries aren't necessarily predictable. Um, but with knowing that he's played in, um, if I'm doing math really quick, 137 games over the last four years, what, like, how do you feel about taking him kind of in that late first round range? 
Uh, well, so just to clarify, uh, I was correct uh, in my recollection. So his ADP is 10 mm-hmm. in our latest data, but the actual um, average draft slot for him is 10.93. So he's going around, yeah, 10, 11, um, obviously sometimes earlier, sometimes later. But that is also a function of him being drafted a bit later and then possibly now being drafted earlier. So his ADP is coming in. Um, how do I feel about it? I feel pretty good about it, honestly. I feel pretty good about taking KD anywhere after the, the top six. Um, so the others in that zone, as I said before, um, Steph Curry, LaMelo Ball, um, but also Giannis um, and AD. They're the sort of guys that are also in and around that zone. And, yeah, I feel pretty good taking KD anywhere um, in that area, even as early as seven. Um, and the reason being, um, as you to your point, uh, you know, he's – when he plays, he performs really well and he's going to be, um, you know, a top player, a first-round player, um, perhaps even the top of the first round, the top six. Um, and then as far as the injury risk is concerned, I mean, personally with KD, I think that's somewhat overblown, even though that there has been a track record over the previous, you know, several seasons where he hasn't played uh, all the games. The thing that I look at with KD is just sort of his attitude. So even when he was on the nets and he was sort of, um, you know, uh, making grumbling noises um, the offseason before last and sort of uh, I think he requested a trade at one point, which they didn't end up trading him uh, at that point. They did end up trading him later. Uh, you know, he had all the, maybe not the reason, but he had all the the table was set for him to, come into the season maybe not 100%, maybe um, missing more games than he might do, sort of dragging his feet a little bit, Uh, but he didn't. You know, he sort of came in and he played. He's a competitor. I think that's he's got a reputation for being a fierce competitor. So if he's healthy, he's going to play, and if he's playing, he's going to try and win. Um, So I sort of feel like, you know, he is going to be, putting his best foot forward in terms of looking to play as much as possible, give the Suns the best record they can have so they can finish top of the, you're close to the top of the West. They can set themselves up for a playoff run. I think at this point in his career, he's all about, you know, winning that championship. So if that means, um, you know, he might miss some games toward the end of the season, particularly in those last couple of weeks while he's preparing for their playoff run, I mean, who cares? Um, you know, all the FBI leagues are finishing sort of, um, you know, uh, mid to late March. So that's not going to affect you. Um, I believe that it's only really going to be if there's something outside of his control where he's, he's getting an injury uh, that, you know, that that's going to be the case. And you really just can't predict that. Like, you know, when he went to the Suns last year, he slipped on the court during warm-ups. It's just a freak accident. Right, so if you're building that type of thing into your uh, assessment, into your predictions, I think that's erroneous, and you you're going to make bad decisions if that's if that's what you're doing. Uh, if he had like a dodgy knee and it was a reoccurring injury, and he was injuring the same thing every season, I think okay, yeah, you can factor that in. All right, the knee's wobbly; it can't hold up. You know, a full a full season, he's going to go down a few times. He's going to miss games. I just don't think that's the case in KD's. Uh, I don't think that's, that's what it is in Caddy's case. I think he's going to be trying to be playing. They're going to be motivated. 
I think as well that we've got that new rule where you're not qualifying for awards and so on unless you hit that, um, I believe it's 65 games. So, I mean, I'm sort of expecting him to play at least that. And if he does, you know, clearly a first-round guy for me. I agree if he plays 65 games that I first-round guy easy. Um, I just look at since he was – because it was the Achilles tear in the finals, obviously wasn't able to play that next season, then played 35, 55, and 47 games. And I know it's not injuring the same thing over and over again like a, like a Kawhi where it's just like consistently knee issues. I think it's just looking at the track record of, okay, since he suffered this major injury, his body just hasn't been able to hold up. He's 35 now, his, you know, slender frame, long, long legs. So it's like injuries that have kept on happening, not saying it's like re-injuring and like those, okay, like it's like the knee, like you said, but I think it's it, looking at the numbers. It makes me have be a little reserved. I don't, I don't think he's not a first round player. I'm like kind of happy taking him at 11, but I think you said this last time that like seven to nine range is probably the worst, worst place to draft because you said you feel confident taking him at seven. I don't think I would just looking at, okay, Steph is there. Steph is probably in that same boat of aging star that has missed games the last few years that he wasn't necessarily doing previously. Same thing with Damian Lillard. I don't know if a trade revitalizes him and all of a sudden he's playing more games. I don't know. AD is kind of in that range. And then it really feels like Giannis is the only one in that range, except maybe like a Lamelo who actually is coming off playing like 33 games last year. That's, you know, at their peak, but also it, I feel like confident that Giannis is going to play 60 something games at the minimum. Uh, whereas the rest of the guys based on what's happened the last few years, I'm not as confident. So I think my conclusion is that if he's there at 11 or 10, happy to take him. It's seven to nine range. It's just tough for me right now. I'm just really hoping that I'm not there with any drafts, which now I know I'm probably going to pick from there in all my drafts just because I'm saying that out loud. But maybe I'll uh, reach for LaMelo in one or take KD or Steph in another. But we'll kind of see what happens. Um, Hopefully, I'm not wishing (laughs) – let me just clarify. I'm not hoping that Kevin Durant – only plays in 50 games so that I'm right. Like I, if I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he plays in 70 games. That'd be great. Um, but I think looking at the last few seasons, it, I'm just not as confident. Um, and I think guys like, I think we mentioned this last time, guys like Kawhi and Paul George, like their ADP has kind of slipped a little bit because of that. KD and Steph haven't really been impacted as much. Um, I'm just a little bit, I have more reservations drafting him than say a guy like Giannis in that range. It's funny you say that because actually I would lump Giannis in with like a KD and a Steph. Mm. Uh, And out of those guys, I would be more confident from an injury perspective, even though I just talked for a couple of minutes before about how I'm not drafting based on injuries. (laughs) Uh, I'd be more comfortable with Dane, um, to be honest. I think he's been the most durable um, out of out of those guys um, throughout his career, he's had some sort of abdominal issues and, and and what have you, and he's missed some time toward the end of seasons. I know that part of that has been to do with uh, the Blazers trying to get a good draft pick, um, and it's funny with Dame that he was sort of missing time the last few years around Christmas. Um, no conspiracy theory there, but sort of tend to have um, that abdominal issue. Um, going into December and then 
missing some time around Christmas and then being fine for the rest of the season. So I'm actually reasonably confident in Dame. Uh, I also think he's probably going to come in to this season with a chip on his shoulder, no matter which team he's at, and be looking to um, really, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, pour cold water over all the scuttlebutt that's been floating around about him. But back to Giannis really quickly, because I didn't want this to be an extensive point. Giannis does have what seems to be a chronic issue with his knee because mm-hmm. he's injuring that same knee again and again. And um, I was listening to some podcasts uh, talking about it and the sort of the, the character of that injury seems to be one where it's sort of like, um, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the um, joint degrading uh, and there's not really that much you can do to sort of reverse that process. Um, so where KD's injuries have, you know, not been mild by any stretch of the imagination, but they're sort of cropping up on different parts of his body that don't seem to be reoccurring. Someone like Giannis, ten, like, seems to be getting this, this an issue sort of in the same area, uh, which to me is slightly more concerning, um, despite the obvious age difference and, um, you know, uh, between the two of them. And that's fair. I was just looking at Dame because in my mind, he has barely played the last two seasons, but you're right. It's because of Portland tanking and he just happened to have that random abdominal injury. So you're right. I wouldn't necessarily lump Dame in with injury prone. That's a good point. Um, I guess in my mind, he's 33 now, had missed games, but there's a reason for it. I think that if he's in Portland, I'm less confident that that's going to continue because I, I still don't think that I mean, I don't think 29 games like he did two years ago is what I'm saying, but he played 58 last year. I could definitely see Portland pulling the plug early again. Um, But I also don't think he's there. Like, I mean, there's reports that he's, that a lot of people think he's going to be gone before media day on Monday. So we could be days away from a trade. Well, that's funny. That's an interesting topic too, actually. I think uh, I I just can't see Dane being on, on on Portland. Uh, oh, I agree. Next season. I just don't think that's happening. And then even if they didn't figure out a trade for him, why would you play him? Why would you risk him suffering some kind of season-ending injury and then evaporating any, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, any any sort of uh, equitable trade deal into nothing? Um, yeah, totally cannot see him staying on Portland. And if he does, I don't even think he would would play, to be honest, until he's traded. And then just finally on Dame, uh, I think this media day deadline is a bit of a false deadline. Like it's just sort mm-hmm. of made up. I was listening to Hollinger and Duncan last night, and this is effectively what they were saying, that it's the media likes to talk about how media day is a deadline, but it, actually there's no significance to it from a, like a, you know, from a contractual perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh whether it does happen, I mean, you know, hopefully it does because we'd all like to get a bit of closure on this. Right. Um, yeah, whether it does happen before uh, media day or not, uh, I don't think there's any any real reason to think that that it would. Uh, I think maybe training camp might be mm-hmm. uh, a more applicable deadline. But it's probably a good segue into talking about DeAndre Ayton because just still on this Dame thread, um, the latest sort of rumours seem to be that the Suns might be the third team involved um, in a trade, 
where uh, basically, you know, Dame, let's say he's going to, um, you know, he's going off to uh, Miami, for instance, or Toronto, wherever you think he might end up, um, and that the Suns get involved and effectively are sending DeAndre Ayton to the Blazers and then receiving Nurkic back. I mean, would be, I think, perhaps a silly move for the Suns because um, they'd be they'd be picking up someone with much more injury risk, you would imagine, um, who's might be fractionally better than um, DeAndre Ayton in some ways, but not significantly so. Um, the only real benefit to that I could see for the Suns would be, um, you know, like a, a saving uh, in tax. You know, obviously they're paying about six bucks for every dollar in salary. So if they downgrade DeAndre Ayton's um, $30 million contracts, roughly in that zone, to Nurk's $15 million contract, uh, again, roughly in that zone, don't quote me, but it's roughly there. That's a $15 million saving uh, on, up front, but then sitting behind that, there's another uh, 15 times five, $75 million in taxes. So, you know, it's a $75 million saving right there by sort of subbing out DeAndre Ayton for, um, for Nurkic. And then that could... Um, create some more flexibility for the Suns, uh, you know, maybe to bring in a point guard or, you know, a traditional point guard or something along those lines um, down the road. So, um, yeah, interesting uh, if that was to transpire. If I was the Blazers, I'd be all about that. I think DeAndre on the rebuilding Blazers would be pretty, pretty freaking good, to be honest with you. Um, I'd switch Nurk out for him any day of the week, and it's not like they have much in the way of salary concerns um, over there. Um, they're, they're sitting pr- pretty, uh, they're sitting pretty uh, in, in that regard. Um, so yeah, what, what do you reckon about, um, what do you reckon about that? So I saw that uh, trade rumor. I think it was from a Portland beat reporter uh, uh-huh. that kind of said that the sun, or maybe it was a Suns one. I don't remember. It was, it was for one of the teams that said that the Suns might be interested in trading Aiden for Nurkic to get a better defensive center and immediately got like everyone either quoting it or commenting and say, what do you mean defensive minded center and in, in juice of Nurkic? Like, is this the same Nurk that we're talking about? Cause like, first of all, he hasn't played a ton the last few seasons. He's missed a lot of games, but also I don't think he's necessarily a really, really good defender. So I don't, to me, that's not necessarily it, – it didn't make a lot of sense to me to say, okay, we're going to trade DeAndre Ayton, who we just drafted number one overall five years ago, gave an extension to, has been good um, to get Nurkic, who I just don't think is as good as Ayton straight up. But also adding in as a third team into that deal, I, I thought the idea of Portland – or Portland and Miami in this case, I guess, adding in a third team would be somewhere to reroute Tyler Hero. So I guess that could even involve a fourth team to where Hero goes because Hero wouldn't be going to Phoenix because as much fun as it would be, you're not going to have Tyler Hero, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant in a lineup. I mean, that that's when you kind of say, okay, there's one basketball, guys. We can't we can't do that. Um, if Phoenix I, and uh, if Phoenix and Miami are involved with this trade, that there has mm, to be a team to pick up Hero. Has to be, yeah. Um, and, and to make all of that work. Absolutely for sure. Yeah. yeah. So 
Aiton's a guy that I kind of shied away from last year, and I, it was mostly because of what happened during their Game 7 blowout to lost to Dallas when things kind of boiled over on the sideline with him and Monty Williams. I was like, I, I don't know how that's going to look. I'm probably going to just avoid drafting him because I don't know what his relationship looks like with Monty Williams. I don't – that it, it just kind of scared me. I'm less concerned about that this year. Um I think if he's still in Phoenix, you know, he probably sees less shots, but also they don't have another great center option. So he's still going to play a ton of minutes. Uh, I imagine they're going to have him play more down low when where possible. It's like somebody's going to have to rebound. Um, I could see a situation where DeAndre Ayton also gets better looks. He can still shoot the mid range, but when you have three elite scorers on the perimeter, you can probably get some good looks inside. I, I see a scenario where DeAndre Ayton actually has one of the better seasons of his career while still in Phoenix, even if it's more of like the one of the better seasons from an efficiency standpoint, an impact standpoint, than necessarily just box score stats such as scoring. I, I, I see the path on paper. Whether or not they keep him around is another question. Yeah, well, Frank Vogel's got a decent track record getting the best out of centers um, mm-hmm. like Andre Ayton. So we'll see what he can do um, with him. Um, but in a team where his offense isn't really required, you're asking him to effectively be a role player, focus on protecting the rim, um, pulling down boards um, and that kind of thing. You know, is the difference of Aiden at 30 million versus say Bismack Biombo, who they could bring back on a minimum at under 3 million. Like, is that, so that that's 27 million upfront, but it's actually, you know, when you include the tax bill, you're sort mm-hmm. of talking, uh, you know, like 160 minus 27. So, you know, like 120, $130 million difference in, in what the owners have to pay. Like, it's a bit of a luxury having Aiton on the roster um, at yeah. that price tag um, on this on this on on this particular team. Um, so yeah, whilst I think that he um, it could be more impactful, it's going to sort of be uh, predicated on him accepting the role, which I think is what has caused the tension uh, with mm-hmm. Monty Williams and the franchise in the past. So you know if he's if he's been pissing and moaning about it, you know since he was drafted. Right, uh, or yeah. you know, soon after he was drafted, since they got good, uh, what? Why would it be any different this year? I mean, sometimes with a personality player like that, I mean, obviously don't know the guy at all, but sometimes it's like he's going to have to be traded to another team and either get that role or not get that role again for him to sort of look at where he sits within the broader NBA landscape more realistically and. Um, I don't know if he ever does that on Phoenix and yeah, just the cost of his contract and the position of this team. I, I, I don't, I don't think he makes it through the whole season um, on the Suns personally. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, do you, do you think, well, I mean, you just kind of said that you don't think he makes it through the season. Do you think this is a trade? Like if you were to guess, do you think it happens before the season? Do you think it happens at the deadline somewhere in between? Like, what do you kind of think? I actually think maybe before, but I'm quite, quite conscious that we're running out of time. I think the logic behind that sort of thought is that Matt Ishbia has been pretty aggressive since mm-hmm. coming in as the owner. Um, you know, uh, trades for Beal, 
uh, trades for um, Kevin Durant, uh, not in that order, in the opposite order, um, as sort of uh, pretty aggressive, like cutting campaign and, um, you know, making those moves around the edges, did a pretty good job bringing in, um, you know, bets on minimum salaries, um, you know, like, a you know, Yuta Watanabe, um, who else did they bring in? Um, Drew Eubanks, um, Eric Gordon, you know, all pretty solid basketball moves and, you know, pretty quick, like right off the bat. So um, he hasn't really shown me that he's been patient with his new toy, the Phoenix Suns. So when it comes to DeAndre Ayton, potentially sort of the biggest um, chip that he has yet to play, I don't see why he would hold off um, or his front office would hold off sort of making that move if something palatable came available. Um, you know, the Pacers have shown interest in the past, but I believe because the Suns matched their offer to bring him back that he's uh, ineligible to be traded to the Pacers mm. this year. So it wouldn't be them. Uh, but I think there's a reasonable chance that he ends up on the Blazers as part of this Dame trade. And if not, I mean, he could be dumped for pennies on the dollar sort of towards the trade deadline um, because it would, as I said, represent a big saving. And if things aren't going, you know, if the Suns aren't top one or two in the West, they're going to want to do something um, to, um, you know, give themselves a quote-unquote better chance in the playoffs. And I think DeAndre will be sort of the first log on the chopping block. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if you agree with this, but anywhere he ends up is probably going to be a better situation for him to have a really good fantasy season. I think, oh yeah, I, like you said, it would take accepting his role. There's a path. Like I, I was saying, there's a path for him to have success in Phoenix. I think if he goes somewhere else like a Portland on a, yeah, I guess a tanking team that actually probably has a pretty solid lineup. Um, he could have some, uh, some success there in a larger role. He so, would kill on blazers. Like he could be, yeah. Third round guy, dare I say it, even a second round guy over there, like no center depth um, whatsoever. They um, they just brought in, um, I forget his name, but the starting center from the Australian team, uh, Reek, Rape, something like that. Um, Reap, something along those lines. Um, they just brought him in. Um, they've got, I think it's Jarris Walker there as a big, uh, and then Nurk. So really nobody in... Aiton's league, he'd get all the minutes he could handle and um, he'd also be, he'd be including the offense much more so um, on Blazers, I, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. And last note on the Suns, um, is there a player other than the core four, which would be obviously Katie, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, DeAndre Aiton, that's worth... I don't even know if you could say roster consideration in a 12 team league, but maybe in like a slightly deeper format, somebody that could provide some fantasy value this season. Yeah. I was going to say, can I say nobody? Um, but <laughs> you yeah, can, since, but <laughs> since you put the caveat um, that maybe this is like a sort of a deeper league question, I think there's probably two guys that stand out. It's definitely not Eric Gordon. Um, I just not a fan of his game at this point in his career. Um, in terms of fantasy, that is. But I think Cater Bates-Diop is one and Drew Eubanks is the other. Drew uh, would need the chips to fall the right way for him to get uh, a more expansive role. I think he was a rosterable player on the Blazers down the stretch last season when he had that opportunity. 
Um, so if if uh, if Aiton is dealt, I think unless the centre's coming back, Drew Eubanks is going to be getting most of those centre minutes um, for the Suns. I would imagine that they would bring in another centre, um, probably like a Bismack Biombo or, or something along those lines. So he wouldn't be getting like 35 a night or anything like that. But he'd be interesting, predicated on a on a on a uh, on, on a trade of DeAndre Ayton, um, but sort of silly to uh, base your drafting strategy on things that might happen. Um, mm-hmm. Hence, why we don't take Ayton in that you know that third or fourth round uh, because you know while he might be traded, it's no given. Um, the only guy that could be sort of interesting. Um, could give you something. Uh, he's not going to get a lot of usage, you wouldn't think. But Kater Bates um, showed a bit on the Spurs last year. He's a bit of an all-rounder, um, sort of low-volume points, uh, rebounds, some defensive stats. His percentages aren't too bad. Um, so given that he's probably the fifth Beatle um, on the Suns team, uh he'll probably get the most minutes out of all of those remaining players. And if that's the case, he's probably going to have the better fantasy output. So maybe more for a points league consideration than anything else. Um, but I don't know if he's, you know, if he sort of steps it up uh, a little bit or he fits like a glove with those starters, maybe he does give you late round value, um, but I wouldn't draft him. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody else worth drafting. The other guy's name that I would throw out there, maybe you disagree entirely, but Josh Akogi, who was really good down the stretch. Well, he had a good stretch of games for a couple minutes there uh, where he actually showed an ability to hit threes, and we know he can get steals. He really can't do much else, but I think having someone like him to play a good bit of the perimeter defense is going to help them out so he could start or just play a pretty decent role. Um, But like I said, he even his shooting percentage wasn't great either. He's just going to give you, he showed the ability to hit a three or a little bit more per game and get over a steal per game, but not much else, but that's kind of mm. what it's going to be in Phoenix outside of those four guys. Yeah. All right. Well, unless you got cool. So we will uh, move on to our second and I guess last team, uh, which is the Clippers who, while I'm, Pulling this up, they finished fifth in the West, uh, 44 and 38. We're doing, I think, didn't they win game one against the Suns? Or maybe it was game two. Uh, no, it was game one because Russell Westbrook had like a horrible shooting night, but he made a really big play at the end, had a good statistical game. Won game one against the Suns, and I'm pretty sure the Suns won the next four because Kawhi uh, wasn't able to play after that, and Paul George is already out. Um, Russell Westbrook looked like prime rust statistically in that series. Um, But it's kind of been the same story for the Clippers the last, I guess, since they brought in Kawhi and Paul George, where it's what if the only time that they were actually healthy for a full playoffs was when they blew a three, one lead to the nuggets in the bubble. Um, But every other time it's been either Kawhi or Paul George or both hurt. So Mm -hmm. we haven't really gotten, I think if you could say like, if they had a full healthy postseason they should be considered a contender every season, but, and they have been preseason, but then, you know, between injuries and other things happening, it hasn't worked out well at all. Um, But the main question um, is the first one, can we trust Kawhi or Paul George? And 
I'll just go ahead and ask that. What do you think about drafting Kawhi or Paul George? I, I assume early third round this year. I know it's been kind of going down. I'm pretty sure last year it was still second round, but now it's like early third round value to try and get these guys who, when they're on the floor, are top 10 at least fantasy options, I'd say. Um, if you, yeah, maybe, maybe not top 10 anymore. Maybe like top 15, top 20 when they're on the court. But obviously – they just tend to miss a ton of games. Well, I would say, first of all, they are actually going early fourth round. Okay. Compared to my my ADP data, uh, or the FBI ADP data. So Paul George going, well, 36 overall. So the the last pick in the 12th round. And then Kawhi going 38th. So the second pick of the fourth round. And the guys around them are... Miles Turner, Pascal Siakam, Desmond Bain, Nikola Vucevic, and Chet Holmgren. And um, I haven't run the, I haven't run this ADP data for for about two weeks, but I can tell you for sure that Desmond Bain has been shooting up. I was going to say uh, that sounds pretty yeah. low. <laughs> yeah, he has been going up, up, up. Um, there's, I guess, what I noticed doing the draft onlys was there were some people really high on Desmond Bain. Just as an aside here. Um, taking him, you know, uh, in that, uh, you know, in that early third round sort of territory. Um, and then others are just letting him slide. So I think with um, other analysts sort of coming out and, um, you know, uh, projecting him late second round sort of territory, um, his stock's been rising. Um, but Pascal is sort of still in that same range. You've got Nikola Vucevic in that same range. The other two interesting names there are sort of Chet Holmgren and Evan Mobley. So that's the type of um, talent that is surrounding them uh, in, in ADPs. So would you take those guys in that range? Um, and can we trust them? So I think trust, uh, it's a bit of a loaded word when it comes to these two guys. Um, you know, I I trust Paul George's um, attitude and he's, uh, that he wants to play. Um, Kawhi... I still trust that he wants to play, but just not as much as Paul George. I think with Kawhi, you know, his insistence on surrounding himself with his own medical staff and not having open lines of communication with whichever organisation, whether it be Spurs or Raptors or um, or the Clippers, I think that's sort of a worry because where, you know, um, if, if he was sort of in this, if he was, if he was, uh, if he was sort of interacting with medical staff in the league and stuff like every other player, you'd feel more confident in in what was saying was always the case. Uh, but certainly some of the shenanigans with um, the Spurs and even here at the Clippers, um, I guess it makes you sort of mistrust. You can't really, t- you've got to take everything you hear about Kawhi with a bit of a pinch of salt. Um, so sort of less... Trust were trusting in him, but I guess that's reflected in the ADP because if we were confident that Kawhi was going to have, you know, a 65, 70 game season, he'd be a first round player for sure. So just the fact that he's going 38th um, overall uh, on average in drafts, it sort of shows that the consensus is that people don't trust that he's going to have a full healthy season. Um, so on that basis, I actually do value him a bit higher than 30, 38th. Um, I think we saw in the second half of 
last season in particular, when he sort of worked through his, um, you know, his nagging injuries, that he did play a lot of games um, during a significant portion of the season there. And he was also, I believe, um, sort of a top, a top, top offensive weapon. He had a lot of usage and carried a lot of offensive load for the Clippers while still being a top 30% um, you know, defender um, uh, in the NBA. So he's still a really, really good player. Um, and you would think that after multiple seasons of sort of not being able to put it all together, that he would be more motivated to try and put a whole season together. Um, I guess there's a, you know, he sort of already cemented his legacy. Um, but, you know, like why still be in the league if you don't think that you've got a chance at having another run at a title? So sort of the clock's ticking on that for him and also for Paul George. So for that, for that reason, I think that they both will be motivated to do well this season. Uh, I believe they're both um, extension eligible as well. Um, so that's another motivating factor. I think, um, you know, if they were to shit the bed again this season, um, their future on the Clippers might be called into question. I'm pretty sure Balmer wants to win and that's why I brought those guys in and they just haven't been able to put it together. So I think there's a few factors sort of stacking up uh, in the positive, uh, on the positive side of the scale to suggest that um, those guys would be motivated to have a good season. Uh, I think there's a recognition that in the West in particular, you really need to have a decent regular season to place yourself well um, in the playoff race. Um, so I would take Kawhi definitely in that area, if not a little bit earlier, because if he hits, um, he'll be a game changer for you. You know, if you get a first round guy in the like early fourth round, um, let's say you were like you're 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 picking. Um, I guess in order to hit that 36, you'd have to be picking uh, like on the turn there. Um, so yeah, if you were to pick on the turn um, and maybe pair like a Dame uh, with an AD uh, and then come in at 36 uh, and th pick 36 and 37 and pick up Paul George and Kawhi Leonard or even Kawhi Leonard, uh, another player, if that sort of came together, um, your team would be very difficult to deal with. So do I trust them? Not completely. Um, would I draft them in around the place where they're going? I think yes. And for me, it's probably Kawhi more than Paul George um, that I would go for, only because I believe the sort of upside there is higher than it is with Paul George. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, I was looking at Yahoo ADPs and Kawhi is, I believe, 27, Paul George 30. So, that's too high for me. 38 and 36 is a little bit better. I think I would, you know, not the second round, definitely in the fourth round, maybe late third round. I think it would depend on how the first two rounds go for me. You, your example of Dame, AD, and then potentially Paul George, Kawhi, or Kawhi, somebody else. I was going to say, I don't think that I, you know, like I, we've been talking about it, injuries aren't something you can predict. You can look at quote unquote injury prone guys, but in reality, it's it's not really much you can predict. Maybe a little bit more so with guys like Kawhi and Paul George who have their repetitive knee in injuries. But I don't think I would take a guy that's 
injury prone like Anthony Davis or has that label and then also take Kawhi. I think I'd have to limit myself to only getting one of those guys because if it happens again for like the fourth, fifth season in a row and those guys are only able to play 50 games, that kind of really hurts your season. So I think if I were to get to my first two picks were guys that are going to play a lot of games, well, obviously you can't like you can't predict injuries, but have had a track record of playing I'd say 60 plus games, maybe at least one of them has played 70 plus games the last few years. Then probably I'm comfortable taking a Kawhi or Paul George there. But I I don't know. <laughs> it's probably basically malpractice to take, you know, two guys or one guy in the first two rounds that has played barely at all, or not barely at all, but significantly less than other guys going in that range. And then to go back the next couple of rounds and get like Kawhi and Paul George, because then you if it happens again, you're just asking for it at that point. Yeah, it depends how risk averse you are, and I guess how mm-hmm. much it's costing you to go in the league. And you know, um, you know, as in like if it was if it was like more of a DFS setting uh, where you're sort of putting in multiple lineups, and in this case, that would mean like you're going in multiple leagues, and you're just having a punt on this strategy because if it all comes together, then you're going to win that league for sure. Um, then I think yeah, that's that's fine to do. It could all work out. Uh, but if you're sort of going in two or three leagues and um, or maybe even one league, maybe it's not the best strategy because to your point, like the odds that uh, one or more of those guys, um, you know, go yeah. down in <laughs> time and your season's just over, then yeah, um, you, you really got to take that into account. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on to how does Russ fit in? So I referenced their playoff series against the, well, it was against the Suns, excuse me, I was about to say against the Clippers, but they are the Clippers. Um, last year, and I'm pulling up his numbers from those right now. Um, it's a first game. I'm like talking so so I can get to it. Okay, first game he shot three of 19, but had nine points, 11 rebounds, eight assists, two steals, three blocks. And then throughout the series, averaged 23.6.7.6 rebounds, 7.4 assists, 1.2 steals, 1.4 blocks, two threes, horrible efficiency. Um, but he really only got to that point because Paul George was out and Kawhi only played in the one game and he kind of had to. So now we're seeing Russell Westbrook is capable of still putting up big numbers with horrible efficiency, um, in a playoff setting, which is, I guess it's, to me, it's, it's refreshing to see because after a bad, really bad, like year and a half stretch with the Lakers where everyone is saying Russell Westbrook is just not good at basketball anymore. Uh, or a lot of people were saying that, I guess not everybody it's good to see him kind of have more of a home and play better basketball at the Clippers. I think even after the trade, um, it just felt like Russell Westbrook was in a better place and was playing better basketball. But if there's any sort of expectation from anybody that, oh, he just did this in the playoffs, well, why can't he do it in the regular season? I think they're going to be pretty disappointed. I, I just, oh, yeah. He's not going to do that. But what can we kind of expect from him in a scenario where Paul George and Kawhi come into the season healthy, obviously when they miss time, his offensive role increases. But when we look at the season as a whole, assuming they're at least playing 50 games at minimum, and then hopefully more than that, how does, how does Russ fit into that scenario? Uh, I still think not good um, to be honest with you. Um, Yeah. He might get, he'll probably have a reasonable role. I expect that he's going to be starting um, point guard for them. Um, there's actually not a lot 
behind him or I guess not a lot of uh, competent uh, or overly competent um, guards behind him. So we've got maybe Bones Highland as being um, Russ's reserve. Um, who else have we got on there um, that could potentially slide into a bit of a ball handling role? Uh, I guess Terence Mann can handle the ball a little bit, Norman Powell, but both not really traditional point guards per se. So I just don't think there's much of a threat to him from the players that are currently mm-hmm. on the roster. Um, so he'll definitely start, but is he going to contribute to winning basketball? Is he going to come into the season and accept uh, a lesser role than he's had in the past? Or do we see sort of, you know, you referenced his playoff performance. He had a few high notes there. Has that sort of re-instilled confidence, um, has he self-confidence, where he's going to want to sort of be a bit more of the man again? Uh, What happens if, you know, Kawhi or PG are not starting the season? Is he going to see himself as the alpha dog? Um, I think all of those things would be problematic for him because I think if he does anything other than sort of accept um, uh, a lesser role than he's had in the past, I know that you sort of mentioned um, that the time in LA sort of uh, humbled him a little bit um, and by LA, I mean LA Lakers. And then when he came to the Clippers, he was a bit more um, subdued and uh, actually a more positive contributor um, you know, can he continue with that? Um, I sort of tend to think that, you know, it'd be a mix of the two. Um, Russ will uh, intend and mostly deliver that sort of more sort of passive um, um, uh, role that's that they want for him. Uh, but he won't be able to help himself um, in terms of, um, you know, possibly... Uh, wanting to take the last shot in the clock or, um, you know, making some horrible decisions when he's got the ball in his hand in clutch time and so on. Um, So I actually think that there's less of a possibility that he gets the John Wall treatment than John Wall got. Um, But I wouldn't say that's out of the question for us if he doesn't sort of stay in his lane uh, on the Clippers. Expect that he will. Um, But having said all of that, right, uh, last year, what did he finish about? 120th. Um, terrible field goal uh, percentages, even though that did come in quite a bit when he when he moved over to the Clippers. Uh, horrible at the free throw line, so he really sort of kills you there. Um, I don't typically incorporate turnovers into my thought process, but when you've got such dramatically poor turnover rate, um, and I'm like you know, I'd be potentially taking you in the tenth or eleventh or twelfth round. I really don't want to get three and a half turnovers a game um, off someone at that point in the draft, unless I'm really sort of completely punting that category. So all in all, I'd say, yeah, if I'm punting percentages, uh, particularly uh, if I'm punting, um, I guess, like a free throw percentage, and I've got a lot of um, I've got a lot of big men that can sort of even, uh, sorry, I'm punting, uh, yeah, free throw percentage. I've got a lot of big men that can bring up my field goal percentage. I could take Russ um, to get those assists late. Um, he does contribute a few rebounds. He might hit the odd three, 16 points a game. Um, isn't the worst thing to pick up sort of that late in the draft. So um, all in all, um, I think his fit on the Clippers is not the best, but they've who he's got. 
and that's and they're going to go with him into the season. He's going to start, so it's, it's going to have to fit. Does Russ sort of um, stay in his lane? Maybe, probably not all the time. Would I take him in drafts? Only in very very specific builds um, would I would I consider it. And even then, um, I think uh, I would steer clear if I had another option. Yeah. Just he played 12 games uh, with Paul George and Kawhi last year, and he averaged 13.3 points, 5.4 rebounds, 7.3 assists, 1.3 steals, shot 46% from the field, um, still turned it over 3.7 times per game despite playing with those guys. So I like his fit and how he looked with the Clippers a lot better than with the Lakers. But like you said, even at his ADP, I don't know that I'm necessarily drafting him in most cases. He's great if you just really need some assists in the later rounds. But like you said, the turnovers are still going to be there and can really hurt you. The poor free throw shooting. He wasn't shooting a ton of free throws. I mean, he only took 2.9 per game um, at 68.6% with those guys. So not super, super, I don't know. He's still aggressive, but he's not getting to the free throw line the way he might have in the past. Um, not really killing you there. And the field goal percentage isn't as bad. Um, yeah, I'm just going to kind of roll with what you said about that. Um, I like him, but I don't think I like him enough to necessarily take him in most scenarios. Yeah. If the, if it, if your team needs, really needs assists and you don't care about, um, or you can take his field goal and free throw percentage and his turnover rate, fine. Uh, but I just don't... Me personally, I don't find myself in that situation too much. Yeah. Mm. All right. So is there any center value here? They have Ivica Zubats. They have Mason Plumlee, um, which they kind of have somewhat of a minute split last year when they uh, played together. Didn't really lead to great value for either guy, but somebody is, I mean, I would imagine Zubats still starts. Are either of these guys, aside from maybe as a later round pick, is there any real value there? Uh, I think no, uh, myself. I think it's basically more of the same. So I think you're going to get exactly what you got out of those two guys um, last season. So Zubak, somewhere in that uh, 110 to 120 range. You need some boards. You need uh, you need a boost in blocks. Um, his free throw percentage uh, isn't the best, but it's not. It's equally, it's not the worst. Uh, his, uh, his volume at the free throw lines not massive, so it's not going to hurt you too much. Uh, it's not going to really help you in points. So, yeah, I might take Zubak if I really needed some boards and blocks um, late. Um, and then as far as Mason Plumley goes, um, I think it's pretty much the same story. Um, he's probably uh, finished the season a bit lower um, than, than Zubak did even though he had that good, well, you know, he had a lot of opportunity, let's say, on the Hornets to start the season because he only sort of came over to the Clippers midway through, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, again, he's going to give you a bit of boards, um, not very many points, but a few, uh, and a bit of field goal percentage late. Um, He's actually significantly worse at blocks um, than Zubak is, and he's actually significantly worse at free throw percentage uh, than Zubak's is and tends to take a few more of them too. So... If anything, it would be Zubak, uh, but I'm not even that thrilled about him. There's too many better centre options uh, in the in the rounds that precede um, where you would have to take a Zubac or a, or a Plumlee. So, 
you know, you should be looking to get a Kongwu or Mark Williams or, um, mm. you know, uh, Mitchell Robinson even, um, one of those guys, um, you know, in a round or two before. If you find yourself needing to draft a Zubac or a, or a Mason Plumley, uh, you've probably messed up somewhere else in your draft, and I'd probably be more inclined just to see what's out on the on the wire, like first couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, I was really high on Zubats heading in the last season because he was literally the only center on the roster. I think they had Moses Brown on a training camp deal, and then never really officially signed him until after the season started. He was the only center option. They still only gave him like thirty minutes per game, and then that just kind of dropped after they finally brought in another center. So. I'm not super high on any of the, either of them this year. I just think that they're not interested in relying on a center. They're just interested in relying on their guards. But um, the last question is, what does the future look like? They're, everybody on this team is pretty much very old. Um, I, I know you touched on it earlier, saying basically like if they're not really competing this year or able to play a lot of games this year, we could see them definitely move on from this you know, strategy of trying to win with around this team, they might try and rebuild, but really that only leaves on this team, probably bones Highland and Brandon Boston that you're necessarily keeping around. Maybe Jason Preston. A lot of those other guys are, you know, maybe guys you keep around as like veterans to help with the rebuild or retool. But a lot of those guys, you're probably moving on from trading for value or they're going to want to explore other options. So I, this is pretty, a, a very general question, not necessarily something that like, we have really great answers to her that probably is going to impact much this season. I guess this may be a little bit more for dynasty. What does kind of the future of the Clippers look like in your eyes? Well, in a nutshell, I think it's like this. Uh, they need to perform better uh, in the playoffs this season than they have the last few. Uh, and the reason for that is, I mean, we all saw how aggressive Steve Ballmer was when he bought the franchise um, he sort of throwing his money around like it's nothing, um, massive um, salary, massive tax bill, doesn't care. Basically, the guy wants to win. I think that's the purpose behind spending all that money. It's to win a championship. Uh, that's what Bulmer really wants. And that's why he brought in Kawhi. That's why he traded, um, you know, Shea and all of those draft picks to the Thunder uh, for PG. Um, ironically, if he hadn't have done that, they'd probably be in a much better position. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, he's been pretty patient. He made some bold moves and he's living with the consequences. Uh, but, you know, as they start to recuperate their draft picks um, and they also sort of approach extensions, uh, which I believe both of them will be eligible, Kawhi and PG, for extensions uh, in the next, in the not-too-distant future. I mean, this year or... Yeah, I believe it's both of them this year. Um, in a nutshell, um, you're sort of at a crossroads, right? Um, I definitely think they'll let this season play out and uh, see if they can actually get to the um, the Holy Grail or, or closer to it this season. And if they do, they move into their new stadium next year. Um, and I believe that they would... Um, uh, be thrilled to be taking in a team that went deep into the playoffs and they'd probably run it all back uh, and probably double down on the strategy that they've employed right now. But you'd have to be thinking that uh, if they have another poor outing, um, it would be just time to tear it down. Um, they'd probably trade off all those vets for whatever they could get um, and then, you know, keep maybe, uh, you know, a Bones Highland, a Kenyon Martin, Brandon Boston, 
uh, even a Jason Preston on the roster, uh, maybe even a maybe even a non power, um, and uh, and then start trying to build around them through the draft or maybe even through um, uh, subsequent um, sort of aggressive moves for, for other stars. But I can't see Bulma, you know, um, just accepting this status quo um, ongoing for another, you know, multiple years. Definitely agree. They're going to, I mean, when he's put this much money in, they've invested all this draft capital in trying to make this team win now they need better results than what they've gotten. I'd imagine they try and do more of a retool scenario than necessarily break it all down because they don't have their own first round pick until 2027. So unless they're able to make a deal, trade away both Kawhi and Paul George and get multiple first round picks back, which I don't know if that's necessarily the case at their age with their injury history, the past few seasons, if they're able to get, I mean, I nowhere near what even Utah got for Rudy Gobert, but if, unless they're, settling with, okay, we'll trade away these guys that if they play there, they'll probably make it a late round pick and just really go through a slow, slow rebuild. I can't imagine Steve Ballmer wanting to do that. I think it ends up being more of a retool. They might end up having to tear it all down at some point, but I don't know when that is. And when they do, it's going to be a long, long rebuild because they don't have draft capital. They don't really have young guys that have a ton of value. I mean, Bones Highland might be able to get you a little bit of something. Brandon Boston a little bit, but they've kind of pushed all their chips in. They need to start having results soon. Like it's, that's just kind of, and a lot of it is injury luck at this point. If they have, if they've had Kawhi and Paul George healthy every season for the last five seasons and haven't gotten it done, I'd imagine they've already started over at this point, but because it's continuous injuries, it's like, okay, well, what if? So it might end up just being more of the same for the next couple of seasons, trying to make this work. And then when they finally have their first round pick again, then saying, okay, I guess we'll, we'll actually try and uh, start over. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's going to be one of the more interesting storylines in the NBA over the next few years. Um, but one thing we do know is that money is no object. So we could see some pretty uh, quirky decisions made over in Clipperland. Yeah. But that's going to do it for – we finally got through after about two and a half hours, the whole Pacific <laughs> Division, so which, uh, you know, bodes well for the rest of the divisions. We might get to it by the All-Star break. But um, that's going to do it for this episode. Follow B-Dub on Twitter at Hidden Upside. Follow me at NoRubin22. Like, rate, review, share this episode with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Uh, but B-Dub, like I said, that's going to do it. Everyone, thanks for listening. And B-Dub, thanks for joining me for this. Thanks, Matt. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.